me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 29 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. I am super excited for all of you in the Metallicast Monday Show to be able to hear this episode. I recently had the honor and the privilege of having a phone conversation with a man who has been a dream guest of mine since starting this podcast. He is a legendary figure in the history of heavy metal who signed many now legendary bands, including, of course... The band this podcast is about the mighty Metallica. Along with his wife, Marsha, he completely financed their 1983 debut album, Kill 'Em All, and released it on their own record label, Megaforce Records. His book, Heavy Tales, The Metal, The Music, The Madness, is out now wherever you buy your books, with the audiobook version available via Audible on July 21st. Without further ado, here is my phone conversation with the legendary John Zazula, a.k.a. Johnny Z. My guest today is a legendary figure in heavy metal history. He is a man who has worn many, many hats, including record executive and band manager through his own Megaforce Records and Craze Management. He has helped launch the careers of many legendary bands, including Anthrax, Testament, and of course, the band that this podcast is about, Metallica. One of the more recent hats he has worn is that of author in his fantastic autobiography titled Heavy Tales, The Metal, The Music, The Madness is out now wherever you buy your books with the audiobook version coming out soon via Audible on July 21st. Please welcome to Metallicast, John Zazula. Hey, hey, hey. How you doing? I'm great. First and foremost, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So it's funny because every time I have a first-time guest on this podcast, I usually start off with the question, do you remember the first time you heard Metallica? But for you, <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, uh, for you, that question has a very special answer. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the story's been told a thousand times, but the first time, I ever heard Metallica was through the speakers of uh, our flea market record store in East Brunswick, New Jersey, when someone brought me a demo tape from San Francisco. Actually, two demos. One was live at the Mab, and the other one was No Life to Leather. And uh, nobody, nobody heard of this band. And uh, I basically against my will because I didn't like to play demo tapes without hearing them at home first. And just, I didn't want to put something right. on in my place and just it stank, you know, right. especially when I only had broken speakers to begin with. <laughs> and it, you know, give you a great low end, great low end. So anyway, uh, I put, we put on this tape against our will because we were told we must now, <laughs> and we did and that was the first time we heard metallica it didn't take more than a song to really blow our minds when i say ours uh i always have to make sure everybody's aware that marshall's azula and john's azula right. are everything that we did it together yes it was never just johnny z even though i always was easy to market me 
but uh, everything was monstering me. And we heard it and looked at each other like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there were no, this was before, uh, you know, iPhones and all that. And we didn't even have the money to have our own permanent phone in our little record booth in the flea market. Yeah. So we went in, we had to go rifling through the drawers for like as much coins as we could put together. <laughs> go outside of the flea market to a payphone and call the phone of KJ Dorton, who was the name that happened to be written on the back of the tape. Right. I answered your question. I could say the rest is history, but I know you're going to ask me questions. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot more questions to come. Uh, Can you give us, for anybody listening who might not know, um, in you do you go and you have so many great stories in your book. I had the opportunity to read it. I was telling you before uh, we started recording, and it's really excellent. I highly recommend it to every metal fan, music fan. It's such a integral part of history and you tell a lot of great stories leading up to rock and roll heaven but can you kind of give the listeners uh, as a brief overview of how rock and roll heaven came to be and uh sort of the your goal with that record store well remember rock and roll heaven was the record store from which we launched metallica that little flea market store miracle without a phone again Uh, (laughs) but but the whole reason it even existed was that i really had marsha and i really were really tight and we needed to earn somehow about 70 dollars a week to pay our grocery bills that was our sole motivation and we were record collectors And we went into the flea market to make some extra money. And I sold four records or five records, I don't remember, collectible pieces, and got $150 from it. And I said, you know, if we could make that $70 to pay our groceries, because Marsha's father was paying that 70 every week. And I really couldn't take it because I just didn't have any money. Right. So what happened was we basically spoke to a guy who had a bunch of cutouts and eight tracks and, you know, Bobby Bear and, you know, you got to know when to hold and know when to fold. That was playing (laughs) really loud in the booth every time we turned around. Yeah. And Marshall and I said, you know, let's take a little space. He had a corner. He said, look, I'll rent you that space. It's empty that little corner of my booth, do what you want to do. Just don't compete with me and pay me your little rent. Right. So we said, let's go in there and see if we could sell some records. And lo and behold, after a whole rough first night of nobody buying anything till we were about to close the curtain and wondering, what did we do? Why are we here? We're paying rent. I had to, I spent $180 is how we started our merchandise, $180. Wow. And for records. Right. For records. And our first sale, believe it or not, 
was Sad Wings of Destiny. Judas Priest pictured wow. this. Yeah. And uh, the legendary Metal Maria was a young girl who came to us and bought beer drinkers and no life. I remember this. No sleep till Hammersmith. Motorhead. Right, yeah, legendary album. You know, and from there, the miracle came, the record store grew, and it became a metal haven. That's what you have to realize. We had every metal record that was ever out and worth a hill of beans mm-hmm. anywhere from Japan to Mexico to Brazil to France. You just name it. And That's we amazing. had it all. That's amazing. Was the original, did you set out to specialize in heavy metal records or did you just find the demand was there? Well, what happened was it's really weird i was a deadhead yeah but i but i really hold on one second sure i really was my favorite band in the world ever was the cream right and if anybody who's listening to this grew up back then 66 to 69 and saw the Cream live, they may realize what a heavy friggin' band that was and how amazing that was. Right. The Clapton you see now is not that Clapton. No. You know, yeah. what you see when, when Cream came together a few years ago before Jack Bruce died, uh, that was like Kiss Without Makeup, you know? <laughs> yeah. And what I saw was Kiss, you know? <laughs> right. So, so anyway... Um, we developed into really loving metal because I loved the album covers. Uh, I was intrigued by the lights and, and the bomber with Motorhead. I was intrigued with the Angel Witch music, actually. Uh, <clears throat> we got a broken Angel Witch, and Marsha and I had the first two songs to listen to Yeah, before the crack came, and and you know what? We were blown away by Atlantis, that second song, and this yeah. and that. And, and then we got the Friday Night Rock show, and we got turned on to Holocaust and Demon and Samson with Dickinson before he joined Maiden. And, right. Hey, man. And then came Raven. Before you knew it, we were hooked on metal. Yeah. Wow. And it, our area yeah. was a all-metal area. Old Bridge, New Jersey. Right. I mean, they had heavy metal in their veins. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I was going to ask you about uh, the group that really came to be known as the Old Bridge Militia. Uh, the Militia. Yeah, can you explain sort of who the Old Bridge Militia was and sort of their importance to you and Marsha as well as the band. If you hear my dogs, forgive me. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> They're in many an interview. But I'm going to shoot them now. Must get the shotgun, sweetheart. <laughs> the Old Bridge Militia. There was a fella named Rockin' Ray. Right. Who came by our store every Friday and unloaded $100 on metal based on our word 
if it was good or not, and we never were wrong. Yeah. He only got mad at me once for selling him an album from France that I love <laughs> called Sortilege. And he said, John, they don't sing in English. <laughs> you know, and well, well, that was the end of that. You know, forget about loudness and bow wow. And you know, forget right. it. That wasn't going to happen. But Ray would take his $100 worth of metal with everything else he had, you know, from boom, boom, out go the lights, you know, to God knows what. He was, you know, Montrose, you name it, Kiss, Black Sabbath. What happened was they would have parties. He would have like a giant speaker system in his house. And like, you know, 30 people would come, 40 people, and get demolished beyond words. Wow. Get demolished beyond words and headbanged like you couldn't believe that it was no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it got so big that Metal Joe, who was with Ray, organized the Club 516 in Old Bridge. And then there were 200 people coming every Tuesday night. Wow. And and Metallica saw this, and Anthrax saw this, and, uh, you know, uh, Exciter from Canada and Amber. I mean, people saw how insane it was at Old British, New Jersey. Yeah. And, and it became the militia uh, to Metallica. And uh, they became the Albridge militia, in case there was any people to say that you're not the militia. You know, so they just said, hey, we're happy to be the Albridge militia. You can fuck yourself if you don't believe it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Metallica lived in their homes, rode ride the lightning with them, you know. Right. Great friends to this day. And uh, what happened was over the years, there was like 29 left. And like we did a benefit, Marsha and I, for Hurricane Sandy. We raised a lot of money with a big old school bill headlined with Twisted Sister. It was amazing. Yeah. And um, I forgot what I was saying. Yeah, but I was trying to make a point. We came back together at that point. Oh, right. The Old Bridge Militia that night got on stage and with who was the survivors and they became the Old Bridge Militia Foundation. Right. Now they do and a now lot of great charitable raised... work, right? What? Now they do a lot of great charitable work, I believe. Correct? Great charity work. Yeah. They got a lot of kids learning how to sing and play instruments and all kinds of things. Uh, they work with the community. It's, it's really wonderful uh, what they do. And it all started with a bunch of crazy go nuts. <laughs> when I say go nuts, I mean, everybody came with their hockey sticks. <laughs> you know, and we played. Yeah. Nobody banged to hit the lights like these guys but when I came on, you know. <laughs> That's great. And it it's, yeah. it's great, too, that you still ha- have um, that relationship with uh, them, too, to this day. Ah, oh, they're, they're brothers, man. Yeah. They're brothers. Eh? Yeah. One of the, it, you know, it, I went into your book thinking, you know, I sort of knew the the brief uh, sort of, you know, abbreviation of your story in terms of 
um, what you did in your career. But I learned so much from your book, honestly. Um, and I, I knew you, I knew obviously about Megaforce Records and I knew you managed bands, but I was just really astonished at how much you and Marsha did. You were really everything to a lot of these acts that you manage, including putting on shows and um, you, you really, you both had your hands in all of it. And I was really just impressed with, with it all. And I, how did you manage all of it? <laughs> Do you even know? <laughs> well, we were overachievers. Yeah. But we had good people around us. Right. You know, I always give credit. If you see in that book, I give credit to people. Oh, yeah. We had Art Ring. Yeah. Art Ring. We had the great Rick Downey with Anthrax who put all those lights together. We had Maria. Oh, my God. Yeah. This wouldn't have been without Maria. And Marsha and, you know, and Ed Trunk. And, you know, we had just right. a staff of amazing, yeah, amazing people. And we all... It was like Never Neverland working for Megaforce Records. That's awesome. You never grew up, man. It was just <laughs> so marvelous in that building. That is you awesome. Know, yeah. yeah. So you have your store, you're, uh, you're putting on shows, you have all this going on, and then you hear Metallica, and you decide to pick up the phone and bring them out to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. What... What was the process for you getting them out from the East Coast, out to the East Coast? Well, when I spoke to KJ, I made some inquiries into trying to get Laws on the phone. I was told he was the one to speak to. Right. And before I even got to Laws, he had sent me a letter of introduction and you know, he heard about us and what we were doing, and he sort of broke the ice for us to get on the phone. Right. Then I got on the phone. I understand James was there when I called, and he'll tell you in his book that motherfucker talked us into leaving everything we had and coming out to New Jersey. You Good know, salesman. and uh, they, we believed in his madness. Yeah. And you know, Marsh and I had no money but we took the money from the store we were starting to do okay right and we went and got a u-haul rental to bring them across with i believe james had a little truck yeah and they got here and landed in front of my house <laughs> and i said you know this isn't a band staying for the weekend this is like, oh, my God, what's going to happen now? <laughs> now, people should really read the book, and I shouldn't give it all away, Brandon. Oh, for sure. I Because there's a lot agree. of fun what happened when they got to my house. And the yes, boat. yes. I yeah. definitely check out the book. I lo uh, We won't go into all the details, but can you tell us um, sort of your overall first impression of the members when you when they arrive on your front step <laughs> well i talk about that in the book too but yeah they were very punky right. they were real thrash was more than a music thrashing was like a way of life yeah and they were authentic man 
And it was scary. They had an edge. Very cool. Uh, I didn't know if we did the right thing. <laughs> or, like, what the hell? <laughs> but the voice inside my head and Marsha saying, it's okay. Right. We just we just went ahead and never gave up, and we believed from the beginning that this was so special, so great. Yeah. And we felt we could take over the world the second they got in our living room. <laughs> That's exactly what they wanted to do, so it was perfect. <laughs> there were some crazy people who believed that that was exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. Wow. Um, so at that point, the band is James, Lars, Cliff, and Dave Mustaine. Um, yes. A lot of Metallica fans know sort of a famous story, if not unfortunate story, where Metallica decides to let Mustaine go, send him cross country mm -hmm. in a Greyhound bus. I say unfortunate, mm -hmm. but the end result is ultimately we get two legendary bands out of it. Mustaine goes on to, of course, form Megadeth. Um, I sort of have right. a, I sort of have a two part question for you. Do you, um, what is your understanding based on what you remember of, uh, like what your reaction was when the band told you, and also, do you remember hearing Megadeth for the first time, and what your reaction to that? Oh band yes, was? yes. Let me tell you. Um... The first question was what again? Just sort of your reaction to the band showing up in your front step and they're like, oh, by the way, we're letting go our lead guitarist and sending him packing cross country back to California. Uh, I understood it. You had to be there and part yeah. of it. But it, it, I understood it. And as I said in the book, you know, I mean, Dave was was – a bit of a wild one, but when he got on stage, you you were scared. He had such an edge. Right. You just never knew. But, man, he just pulled it off every night. He was great. I liked his – I thought he was magnificent. I'm so happy I got to see him with Metallica. Yeah. And do you remember hearing about Megadeth for the first time and – Hearing a song. I was down there. I went to oh, LA. Really? Marsha oh, wow. and I went to LA. Yes, we we tried to have a little powwow with with Dave, but we couldn't really relate to each other. Yeah. And he went his way, and we went our way, and Metallica went their way, and Anthrax went with us. Yeah. It's. It's funny how, uh, you know, all those bands, it just shows how small of a world it really is. You know, all those bands crossing paths and coming up together. And it's really amazing when you really think about it. It's a real vaudeville kind of story. You know, everybody yeah. was vaudeville together and then they all became stars on NBC and CBS. And, you know, and they went on to become <laughs> legends and writers and producers. Right. You know, it's the same thing. The people who worked at Megaforce, Missy Colazzo, Maria, Gary, 
Jessica Harley, you know, Wycliffe John. I mean, they're, they're all big. They're doing great. Yeah. It's drunk. Yeah. They're all doing great, you know, and uh, God bless them all. It, it, was, it was a breeding ground for people. It was a breeding ground for the greatest bands on earth. For sure. And and thank God, really thank God, that I had the ears, and Marsha had the ears, and Maria had the ears, that when you put us together, we were some A&R team, huh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the list, the list of the bands, list. it just goes on and on and on from and when you get to the end to merciful fate it's just incredible man and when you get somewhat out of the thrash and everything you end up with ace really but then you end up with king's x right now king's x i don't care what anybody says that's one of the most special bands ever found on this planet yeah they're definitely you... a, a amazing musicianship that just really to this day, they have a strong cult following. Huge. Yeah. Huge. But just enough to, to do what they got to do. You know? Right. Uh, you never know what will happen in life. Right. But, you know, we, we all wish they got a little bigger than they did. But other musicians love them. Uh, all the musicians. Marshall's with me. Yeah. All the musicians uh, love them. They're like the musician's band, you know, and right. uh, yeah, great. Anyway, but I wanted to mention them. That was a, a great find. That was another band that I didn't want to sign right away. That was Marsha up my ass for three months. <laughs> well, which you just know? shows how, you know, that's why you need the tag team, right? <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is, you know. And then in management, you know, uh, Maria brought us ministry. Right. Yeah. And suicidal tendencies, which was short lived, but we did manage them for a little bit. Right. You know, and uh, it was, that was a great thing. You know, 92 yeah. Lollapalooza was amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and what's funny is later on, this really has nothing to do with Metallica, but Marshall and I discovered the Disco Biscuits, which in the world of trance and jam, mm -hmm. they're like huge, man. I, I mean, mean, like yeah. real big. Really yeah. big. So, so uh, and they have Camp Disco, which is like 8,000 people. You know, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead. You're, you're doing this interview, not me. <laughs> <laughs> like I said at the start, whatever we can talk about anything and everything because I know uh, you you would just have so many stories and it's just awesome to hear it. Um, and you've had your hands in so many. Both of you have had your hands in so much music history and metal history, and it's just fantastic. So um, please do not hesitate to go off and talk about whatever you wish. <laughs> um, no. So you have. Uh, so now. It, you know, as the story goes, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're shipping, uh, you're, you're shopping around Metallica. Nobody's really interested. Nobody really gets it. And you decide we're going to do this album on our own. Correct? That's very correct. If you're getting beaten up so badly on the street. Yeah. Do you remember what anybody 
what the like the reactions were like it was was it too scary too hard too heavy too fast just too it was much like everything it was like it was like yuck <laughs> what do you do with this who's gonna buy this what kind of shit is this what's this eight minute intro uh, oh wow what, what a bass solo <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's funny when you look at that album and think about, you know, not many. I think I I was able to see um, as a fan, I was able to attend the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, when Metallica was inducted and Flea from Chili Peppers, you know, gave a nice speech. and And I remember him making the point, like, if a band is looking for, you know, mainstream acceptance, they went about it, uh, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but they went about it like a wacky way, you know, by releasing a bass solo on their first album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then we made that part of the single. Right. You know, the anesthesia pulling teeth. So you, so I have a question uh, about that. So you have, you, you you go into great detail with in your book uh, about, you know, the recording process, recruiting the producer and the sound engineer and kind of the trouble. So uh, I, I I encourage people to go and buy your book and really get into the recording process of Kill 'Em All. Um, but I do have a question about the singles. I believe there were uh, two singles from the sound, Whiplash and Jump in the Fire. Right. And how do you remember how you went about selecting those specific songs as the singles and what was the goal well, you know, of the singles? You know, what nobody understands is why I did it. There were those hardcore people who said, Johnny D, he's selling a few Metallicas. Meanwhile, Raven was out selling them three to one. Yeah. Uh, and all I was doing, which is what I did for Anthrax all their career, was put out promotional singles that I had the course covered. Mm-hmm. So I made Jump in the Fire a single, but I felt it's more collectible and exciting as a 12-inch. Right. And you get a better sound because the bands are wider. Right. You know, it's uh, it's, it, it, it's just a, a good thing. I wanted to do them at 45, but they wouldn't do it. I wanted to to be the speed of jumping the fire and whiplash at forty five. Yeah, so I really fucking sounded great. <laughs> but uh, uh, who the hell knows what happened? But that's all it was. It wasn't to yeah. make money or getting. But a lot of people bought those singles that didn't buy the album. They went and bought the album. Yeah, well, you were able to see firsthand, you know, running the store too, how many, you know collectibles and what the the militia and metal fans were going for you know so well if you don't want to spend twelve ninety nine on the album for four ninety nine or three ninety nine you could buy the single twelve inch everybody got four or five bucks right so everybody left the store with a Metallica and then they all came back the next week and bought the album yeah you know and and that's what it was and that's what that's what that was all about. Smart, because you think a lot as an outsider like myself looking in, you know, we get used to, you know, singles go to uh, are for radio or for 
you know, MTV once upon a time anyways. Um, and, and mainstream just was not touching Metallica at this time. No. No, I had to go to Ed Trunk personally myself. I say it in the book. Right. And I tell the story of how I got him to play it on the <laughs> yes. radio for the yeah. first time in America. You know, and what I had to do for the five radio stations that played anything. <laughs> and that's nationwide, five radio stations. That was nationwide. Yeah, incredible. For one hour. Wow. Yeah, a lot of them would have, right, like the midnight metal hour and right it's incredible. Yeah. Metal. Ah. <laughs> one thing i found uh you know again uh reading the book i was really impressed with how you had both of you had your hands and everything and one thing i never knew till i read your book was um that their first national tour that they did with raving the kill em all for one tour yes that you were the promoter of that tour well, I wasn't really the promoter of the tour. Okay. I was I was the organizer, right. and I was the record company, and I paid for the tour support, and right, I helped right. organize the whole thing. But the promoters were the individual promoters of every show. Got it. And right. I promoted the tour in terms of advertising it and making it bigger than life. Right. That tour was not one that made any money, by the way. <laughs> uh, now, the there's the famous story of, you know, well, obviously there's the saying uh, that's become iconic now, metal up your ass. And there's the famous story that the band originally wanted to call uh, the first album that. And then, right. um, you know, you go into your book and the story has been told before as to why that did not happen. But right. uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You are the you you came up with the concept of the iconic image of the knife coming through the toilet. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you remember but how they, that came they, to be? Just like that. <laughs> That's the way it is for me. Just like that. Metal up your ass, you know. <laughs> And the only thing is, I wanted it up his ass and, and out his mouth, but <laughs> but they felt that was whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and then when we kiboshed the album cover, I went up to a photographer and explained the Kill 'Em All cover exactly. Right. And he did it with photo imaging, with no computers. Wow. Yeah. And then he took the iconic picture of the band with all the pimples and everything. And I said, this is great. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. And uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's funny because I'm uh, younger. So, I, I mean, I was one years old when Master Puppets came out. I was born in 1985. Um, yeah. So, like, my childhood, uh, you know, Metallica was... 90s so i had to go back and rediscover the mm -hmm. the 80s metallica and i remember mm -hmm. being really young i think in sixth grade and getting load which was you know the short hair era with and they're on the back right. cover with like their martinis and their cigars right. and the suits right. and it was a big right. image shift and then i remember uh going to my local record store and looking at the metallica section and 
seeing, oh, like they have four other albums. Which album do I want to buy? Which album as an angsty sixth grade do I think I'm going to be able to bring home and upset my mom the most? <laughs> so I bought Kill 'Em All. I was like, it's wow. the album title, the album image. It was just, to me, it just stood out. The bold red. It was just, in that image to me is just iconic. And But I remember opening it and seeing that picture of the band's with all the pimples and holding it next to the load cover. And be like, oh, this is the same band, huh? And that's like when I started educating myself about the history of Metallica. <laughs> right on. Right on. Uh, there's, you know, yeah. They, everybody got confused with the grunge era and they're back. God bless them. God yeah. bless Metallica. Yeah, they've really brought it full circle, I feel like, now in terms of you yeah. know, their image and the recent albums. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a famous story uh, after Kill 'em All is released. Uh, the band is thinking of recruiting a new vocalist. And uh, you, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, are the ones who, the one who reached out to John Bush of. Armored Saint and later Anthrax yeah. uh, about yeah. being the vocalist of Metallica. Do you remember uh, why Metallica was thinking that way? And do you remember anything about having to make that phone call? Well, there was... I don't think James thought he could do it. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't want to do it, and he... Wanted a front man, and they loved John Bush. They thought he was great, and he would fit right in with them. And for a moment, that's who they were focusing on, and called him. Yeah, he was very happy with Armand Saint, and he he, he wanted to, he wanted to see their career develop. Yeah, it's it's funny because again, even though that's years before, again the bands cross paths. And John Bush goes on to front anthrax pretty much throughout the 90s it's just funny right. all the crossover still you know continued throughout the decades oh yeah it's all incest you know it, even though it really wasn't the metal family i may want to summarize things by this but even though it wasn't a, it, it seemed like a metal family everybody yeah. was in there everybody was in their own head Right. They all greeted each other with love and hugs. But, you know, everybody wanted to be the top of the heap. Right. You know, so you had that. And, you know, what can I say? You know, that that's what it really was. Everybody individually, all at one time, in a family, trying to make it, but... Some really did very well, and some some didn't. Most of them did, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I would say the majority of, if not all, like really the top bands that just you and Marsha had a hand in are still going strong to this day. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, and it speaks volumes that not only are they going, but they're not just like skating by. They're still releasing relevant music and uh, and putting on incredible live shows. Well, look at Testament. That new album is fantastic, man. 
Yeah. Did you I've, hear it? I've had the opportunity to hear some of it. I need to do a deep dive into it for sure. But from what I've heard, it's really excellent. Do a really deep excellent. dive into that. And the intro to the new Overkill is, uh, you may not be into Overkill, but, uh, you know, but there are a lot of people who are. And the intro to the Overkill album is so fucking heavy, man. Oh, yeah? It's really, if you love getting just yeah. sucked away by just the greatest of sounds, just listen to that, you know? And uh, I just, I'll just say that the New Overkill and the New Testament worth listening to. I will definitely do a deep dive into Testament. I will definitely check out the New Overkill. Do you have any other, uh, are there any new bands out there that you are listening to as a fan? Well, you know, I was listening for a while to a band out of France called Arcania, who I okay. like very, very much. They're just a great French, French, a great French band, great players. And, uh, you know, Marsha and I, they're not a new band, but uh, we've been listening to, uh, we listen to Arch Enemy a lot. Yeah. You know, and Benamink. You know, when they right, came yeah. with us back, that album was amazing. That uh, Ave Satanas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when you say, who else? I, you know, I'm still a sucker for an old machine head. Right, yeah. And I'm and I'm a real sucker for the new Lamb of God. Uh, I, I have heard that album. That is really well done. Oh, great album. So, yeah. you know, these these are the albums that you know, I listen to, and when I tell you to listen to, especially the New Testament, man, I mean, that's a rave, rave album. I'm, I'm going to, I'm honestly going to listen to it as soon as we're done recording. Now, I'm really excited All to right. listen Please to it from start do. to finish. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, everybody, everybody, yeah, you deserve to do it. You did a good interview. Oh, thank you. You deserve a good fun. <laughs> and you know what's funny? When you listen individually and you take out the pieces, on the overkill too. Everybody's yeah. on their game. Yeah. Everybody's on their game. So anyway, um, I'm going to get my voice together because I have a another interview, believe it or not, to okay. do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will definitely let you do that. Can I just ask you, do you mind if I ask you one more question? Brandon, go ahead. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Um, I had a question that I was really interested in because, you know, you, you your career with Metallica in terms of a business relationship is really through the first two albums. And you go into your book about, you know, the whole Ride the Lightning era and the effect of all that. So check out the book for all that and insight and incredible stories. But my question for you was Metallica has done so many different things musically, whether it was fade to black on ride the lightning or, you know, a love song, nothing else matters in the black album or the more blues and country stuff, the Lord and reload or the concert, the symphony or the album with Lou Reed. Have they done anything musically that like they did? And you were just like, it just shocked you like you completely out of left field as somebody who knows them both personally and professionally. I'm going to say something that my dear friend, Brian Nyers, who used to run rock and roll heaven. 
yeah. and work with Megaforce said. When Master of Puppets came out, he said, Johnny, this is great. I go, Brian, what's so great about it? He goes, they did it again. <laughs> they did it again. Awesome. And you know what's interesting? With Trujillo in the band. Yeah. You know, anything is possible when they finally don't give a shit and they do the album <laughs> that they really want to do. Yeah. I I think everybody's always worried about their fans and what the public wants, but mm -hmm. I think Metallica have their best album in them. They yeah. just have to really let it go. Yeah, I hear you. They have to let it go. And that's what I'm thinking. I think a true heel surprise will be wonderful. That's my that's well, my thought. Thank you so much for your time. It was truly uh, awesome to have the opportunity to speak to you. Um, please, if you're listening to this, check out Heavy Tales, The Metal, The Music, The Madness. Uh, it is out now as a book, but it will be coming out. The audiobook will be coming out via Audible on July 21st. It's a fantastic read. Um, this It'll fill in a lot of blanks and a, from this interview and so, so much more. Um, John Marshall, you leave behind an incredible legacy between Metallica and Anthrax and Testament and Merciful Fate and King's X. And like we said, the list just goes on and on and on and on. Thank you so much for both of your time. Hey, listen, it was a pleasure, man. You take care of yourself. Same Thanks. to you. You too. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. And that concludes my conversation with John and Marcia Zazula. I love that she was on the other end of the phone uh, giving her two cents as well because they really were a tag team. They really made the decisions together and signed Metallica together and started Megaforce Records together and, you know, you heard from John himself how much input she had with the signing of some of these bands. It's really amazing that just the track record, think of how many of those bands are still around, still relevant, and are just legendary in the world of heavy metal. Besides Metallica, who obviously went on to become the biggest band in the world, Anthrax and Testament and Ministry and just so, so many. Even though it was said a couple times already, the list really does just go on and on and on. But it was a real pleasure to have them both on the show. It was a dream come true for me. Even listening back to it when I was putting together this episode, I was sort of in disbelief that I went from reading about John Zazula and seeing him in middle school when he appeared on VH1 Behind the Music with Metallica, and now here today uh having a phone conversation with them so that was really a special moment for me as a metallica fan as a music fan and i hope all of you in the metallica Shaw really enjoyed it please check out his book it is really a great read i'm not just saying that because he was on the podcast again it's called heavy tales the metal the music the madness and you can buy the book now It'll be out as an audiobook via Audible July 21st. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to end with my tagline. And when I say it this time, 
think of the iconic image that Johnny Z designed with that knife coming through the toilet. If only we got the actual version he originally wanted with it going all the way through the mouth. That would that would have been fucking awesome. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen. Middle up your ass. Yeah! Fans, not experts.